Hey, welcome to Stories After Midnight. The story we will be reading today is Getting an Organ Transplant Was the Worst Decision of My Life. I Wish I Just Died. By Prickly Pear 10 on Reddit, so I hope you enjoy it. I hung up the phone as I stared into my wife's eyes with the biggest smile I ever had. Well, what did they say, John? My wife inquired. I was still in shock. Joy. No. Relief. Took over my body. Uh, they, they found a match, I stuttered. My wife, Sarah, leapt forward, clutching her arms around my neck. I gently reached up and rubbed her back. It was over. I had found a match. After six months of slowly dying, hoping and praying to find a matching kidney, I finally found one. I haven't felt this happy since our marriage. That phone call was one of the greatest moments of my life. Well, that's what I thought. Little did I know the gates of hell had just opened, and my life would never be the same. I'm sure you're all expecting a story of how the kidney transplant failed, or maybe some horror story of how I was awake during the surgery. God, I wish that was the case. It would have been so much easier, so much quicker, so much less painful. Hell, even a failed transplant would have been better. I probably would have only lasted a few more months. Death would have been relieving in comparison. What I got instead was nightmares. Actual, literal nightmares. They began shortly after I left the hospital. and started simple enough. I would see flashes in my dreams. A woman screaming in the corner as she held her baby. A blood-soaked floor. A man laughing psychotically. The sound of knives sharpening and, briefly, the glimpse of a man strapped to a chair with black tape over his mouth eyes bulging in horror as he witnessed a violent murder. There was little meaning to them, and there was no cohesion to the dreams. It was just glimpses. They were different, though, than any other dreams I had. They were short flashes like that of a slideshow, but they were incredibly vivid. I could describe in detail what the woman looked like and what she wore. I could hear her voice shrieking in terror. I could picture the blood on the floor and the man strapped to a chair, as if I had just seen them in person. I could even smell the sickening scent of iron in the air from the blood. I told Sarah about the dreams. She didn't make much of them. She said they were likely the result of the anesthesia, or my body healing from surgery and shouldn't be a concern. Anesthesia? I questioned. It's been a week. I think all the anesthesia's gone. Well, it could still be your body healing, she retorted. Or it could be anxiety. We've waited months for you to find a match. I'm sure you were worried about it failing. Also, you've always been terrified of doctors. This was true. I hated doctors. For years, doctors have been telling me I have hypertension when they take my blood pressure. Only for me to explain I have white coat syndrome. Yeah, you're probably right, I said. I know I am. I always am, she said, smiling softly. No matter how distressed I was, that smile always calmed me. What else could it be? I nodded and reclined on the couch. It was Saturday, which meant it was movie night. Throughout our 23 years of marriage, we made it a point to have date nights. As we got older and grouchier, most of those date nights turned into staying home and watching something. Still, I couldn't quite shake the unease I felt. I don't know how to describe it, but something felt wrong. Though I had relaxed my mind and resolved myself to just experiencing post-op anxiety, that didn't stop the nightmares. In fact, 
they got worse. I no longer only got dreams of the same horror scene of the blood-soaked room. Now I would see different ones. Sometimes I would dream of a young man, maybe 30, with long black hair, being hung by a finger from a bridge, crying and begging for his life. I could hear his bones and his finger break, see the flesh tear as the thin rope cut into his finger. Other times I would see a family, all tied to lawn chairs inside a barn as it went up in flames. I watched as they screamed, as the flames engulfed them and melted the skin from their faces. One of the worst I saw was a woman held at gunpoint as her, I assume boyfriend or husband, shot himself in the head. I suspect whoever held the gun forced him to do it, or else he would kill his wife, girlfriend. They were all drastically different killings, but aside from being gruesome and horrific, they all had two things in common. There was always a man laughing maniacally, and there was always the man tied to a chair being forced to watch. This went on for weeks. I would tell my wife about the dreams, and though disturbed, she would always conclude that it must be anxiety, or that I had watched too many horror films. It's not just anxiety, I yelled during an argument over the dreams. It's not horror movies either. I've watched horror movies my entire life, and I've never had dreams like this. Well, what do you want to do about it then? She retorted. I sat and clasped my head in my hands. I felt as if I may cry for the first time in decades. I don't know, but I can't keep having dreams like this. I can barely sleep anymore. Should you see a therapist? Sarah asked. A therapist? How much is that going to cost for some PhD to tell me it's all because of my childhood? I snidely responded. Will you stop? She said. Your insurance covers therapy. Do you have any other ideas? Wouldn't you like to sleep again? I sighed. I always thought of therapists as scams, but what other options did I have? These nightmares were making my life hell and went far beyond not being able to sleep. I couldn't get the images out of my mind. They were always there. Having constant, vivid images of the most gruesome murders possible really messed with one's psyche. Fine. I'll look for one tomorrow. It didn't take long for me to find a psychiatrist. As it happens, America is experiencing something of a mental health epidemic. Psychiatrists were plentiful and abundant. I found one covered by my insurance with good reviews, a slender lady who looked to be somewhere in her mid-thirties. I told her, the psychiatrist, all about my dreams and how I started experiencing them after the surgery. I explained that I could see them in vivid detail, and they were making my awakened life a nightmare. She went through the usual checklist. She asked if I had ever experienced anything like this before, if I had a history of anxiety, if I was on any painkillers after the surgery. I answered no to them all. She had no concrete answers, but she said it was likely that my brain was working out the trauma of literally dying for months with a failing kidney. She concluded that, with death constantly lurking in my mind, it was likely that now that it was over, I was experiencing something like PTSD. I didn't really believe her, but she prescribed me some medications, one for anxiety and one for sleep. If I can finally sleep, I'll take whatever she gives me, I thought. As it turns out, the meds did nothing. Well, actually, I guess they did something, because the nightmares only got worse. Every couple of days, I would experience a new episode in more graphic detail than the last. Two of them really struck me. One was a man, crying, being forced to eat something raw. Even in my sleep, I could feel the bile rise in my throat. Whatever that was, it wasn't beef. The second was another man, as he was shoved into a wood chipper. 
I'll spare you the details on that one. Still, as with all of them, there was always that haunting laughter and a man strapped to a chair who seemed to slightly change between each dream. He gradually became more worn in appearance and skinnier. I reckoned he had lost 50 pounds throughout all the nightmares. Nothing eased the terror that consumed my nights. I was lucky to get two hours of sleep. I spent most of the nights lying in bed awake, sweating profusely. These had turned into night terrors, and I could no longer stand them. I even tried sleeping during the day to see if that would help, but I would still have the nightmares. My wife was no help. She insisted I keep seeing the therapist and taking the meds. I put my foot down and refused. Whatever was going on, therapy wasn't the solution. Since this ordeal began when I got my kidney transplant, I decided to start there. Only problem was, I didn't know how to begin there. I had no clue what the cause of the dreams were or how the kidney was connected, but it's all I had. After all, what the hell could a kidney have to do with nightmares? I racked my brain trying to figure out what had happened around that time. Had I seen some news story about a serial killer before the surgery? While I was unconscious in the hospital, were murder victims being treated that my subconscious picked up on? I investigated both of these and found nothing. Finally, with no other possible avenues, I decided to contact my doctor who had done the surgery. I wanted to know who the kidney came from, which, evidently, standard surgical doctors don't know. At first he wanted to know why I wanted to know this, so I told him I wanted to send a gift to the family as a thank you for saving my life. And finally, after a longer-than-wanted conversation, he sent me some list with what looked like serial numbers through email. He told me which number sequence my kidney belonged to and told me to contact the doctor in charge of organ donations, the one who extracted them from the corpses. It took a while, but I finally got in touch with the doctor I was looking for. I gave him the same story I had given the other doctor, and also gave him the numbers of the donor I was looking for. He checked his database and came back with the name Samuel Horn. Samuel Horn. This was the guy whose kidney I now carried, the man who saved my life. Though I had never heard the name before, something about it seemed so familiar. It was as if I had heard the name a thousand times. I googled the name, and it didn't take long for me to discover who he was. I live in Boston, which is where Samuel Horn was from as well. Evidently, he was an investigator who went missing two years ago with no trace. Upon investigating the police reports, his case went cold and he was listed as a missing person. That is, until a few months ago, when he was found on the outskirts of Boston, lying dead in the snow. The cause of death, a single stab wound to the temple. It was a sad story, but none of that's what got me. What bothered me instead was that I instantly recognized him. He was the man from my dreams, the one strapped to a chair who was present during all the killings. My mind was racing. What do I do? Couldn't tell my wife about this. She would just think I was nuts. What would I even tell her? Honey, that kidney I got is haunted and belonged to an investigator who was murdered. I think I'm witnessing the murders he was forced to watch before he was killed. I paced around for hours. I must have smoked two packs of Marlboros during that time, trying to decide what to do. Why is this happening? Why am I having these dreams? What can they mean? I thought to myself. The only explanation I could muster was that Samuel must have wanted me to see them. For some reason, he wanted me to have these nightmares. My guess is he was investigating a serial killer and he wanted me to finish it. 
to turn this person in as he was unable. How I, a 49-year-old electrician, would do this, I don't know. Maybe, eventually, I would see the laughing man in the nightmares. Then I would at least know what he looked like to tell the police. Until then, I would just have to endure them. It's not as if I had a choice in the matter anyway. Weeks passed with no relief. Every night I would dream of some horrible murder, each more vivid than the last. I was never able to see the laughing man, though. He always stayed somewhere out of my limited view. That is until one night, exactly nine months after my surgery, saw him. I was not prepared for it. It happened abruptly. I was having a nightmare of a man being lit on fire when, suddenly, the laughing man popped into my view, clear as day. I was only able to see the man for a few moments before I jumped awake with my heart pounding. As I felt the drumming in my chest, I thought I might have a heart attack. I started to hyperventilate when my wife awoke. Honey, what's wrong? She yelled. I didn't reply. I was in disbelief. The man I saw, he, he was me. I never went back to sleep. It took over an hour for me to convince my wife I didn't need to call 911. I stayed awake the entire night thinking about what I had witnessed. How? How have I been killing people? I thought to myself. As soon as my wife awoke the next morning, I told her about the dream. She brushed it off as nothing and just a nightmare, but I insisted. I told her all about Samuel Horn and how he was the man I saw tied up in every one of my dreams. She was visibly shaken, but she still tried to make sense of it. She told me I should take a vacation and lay out of work for a while, rest my mind. I refused. I already knew what I was going to do, and I was turned myself into the police. I don't know how I was doing these murders, but I saw myself there. Initially, the police thought I was crazy. That is until I gave them details of dozens of murders that the public had no information on. They checked their records, and all the information I gave them was accurate. Still, there was no evidence of my involvement in the murders, so instead of prison, I was locked in a psychiatric hospital. I spent weeks in the hospital. The nightmares had finally stopped. The doctors and the police weren't entirely convinced I was the murderer, but they knew I knew something and wanted to know how. I told them it was from my dreams, which nobody took seriously. They evidently diagnosed me with schizophrenia and wanted to check my family history for mental illnesses. I told them about my family, which turned up nothing. No history of any medical issues aside from an uncle with chronic depression. That is until one of the officers sat me down for an interview. John, are you aware you are adopted? The officer inquired. Adopted? I asked. No, I'm not adopted. Well, as it turns out, you are. I was shocked, as if I needed more life-altering news. I felt a tinge of sadness for a moment as I realized my parents weren't my biological mother and father. Your parents adopted you when you were four months old. Apparently, your birth mother couldn't care for you both. You both? I asked. My head started to spin. This, along with everything else, was too much. Yes, you both. John, you have an identical twin brother who is wanted on federal charges. And that's it. That's the story. I really hope you enjoyed that one. If you did, consider liking the video or commenting. Uh, it really helps me and the, well, and the channel reach new people who might apparently, well, who might like to listen to these things. So uh, outside of that, we have a Discord you can join and 
This is open to you who are watching or listening uh, through a podcast. You can come join the Discord. If you want to do more than that, there is a Patreon and YouTube memberships. If you want to support the channel and more of a financial, tangible means, I guess. But outside of that, I just appreciate the comments. appreciate the likes and you letting me know what you thought. Outside of that, I hope you have a great day or week, weekend, whenever this comes out. And uh, we'll see you in the next one.